What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with another NBA team look ahead. We're on to the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm incredibly excited to talk to, I think for the first time in years, face-to-face or via podcast, Kirk Henderson, the editor-in-charge of MavsMoneyBall.com. He's also a dog lover, which I very much appreciate. Mm. And he once willed Luka Doncic to the Dallas Mavericks. I think he deserves credit for that. Follow him on Twitter, at Kirk Serious Face. That's spelled exactly as it sounds, at Kirk with a K, Serious Face. Uh, Kirk, the most important question I'll ask on this podcast, how the hell are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, I'm slowly... Y'all, I'll be ready for regular season basketballs, ready for preseason. I watched one preseason game and now I'm done with preseason. Uh, and I'm just like ready for real games that matter. I say every year I can't do preseason and I invariably end up watching like some of it. I can't deal with the preseason takes where people are just ready to jump off a cliff or, or you know, leap to the heavens or something. I can't I just can't buy too much into what I see during the preseason. Sure. Sure. And and that was how you know Mavericks played. We're recording on what day is it? Thursday the sixth. And the Mavs played their first preseason game against the Thunder on Wednesday night. And it was uh you know, rife with uh overreaction and that that can be fun. It, the first time it's fun. By the third preseason game, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really tired of it. Uh yeah, I amen to that. And I will say that da- the Dallas Mavericks had like one of the more eventful, uneventful off seasons, um, just with them being, you know, involved in the whatever Jalen Brunson's departure. And I think it's best to start that they did trade for Christian Wood, obviously, um, get Jaden Harvey as well, Sanjay Val McGee. But Jalen Brunson, I think we need to start there. Uh, where do you land on his exit, like entering this season? Do you think the impact of his departure, especially on a national level, when you have you know idiot talking heads like me mm-hmm. saying things, do you think it's being oversold or do you think that he's it's gonna they're gonna end up really feeling his absence i think they're gonna end up really feeling his absence but i also think it was and a move that had to happen sooner rather than later because brunson for his and he's a really unique player really is i think fans that are unfamiliar with him he's he's basically a six foot three power forward his his footwork is incredible he's he's still learning to be a willing three-point shooter but at the end of the day, he's like six one. And how far are you going to get in the league with your, uh, your second best player or whatnot being as small as he is? And the Mavericks and he and Luca were not really a great defensive pairing on the backcourt. And so the Mavericks were probably going to have to figure out a way to move from him sooner than later. I wish that they would have been able to, you know, figure out some sort of sign and trade, or better yet, if they knew he was leaving at uh, All Star break, then they probably should have traded him, you know, by the trade deadline. And so that that element is a pretty big whiff. They're, they don't really have a means to replace him. I think that that if Luka Doncic can play a healthy season and not miss like 15 games, then they're probably not going to miss Brunson too much. But if they run into, into any kind of health concerns, uh, they're going to miss him a great deal. And even just during the non-Doncic minutes, right? You still have Spencer Dinwiddie, but now because you have Dinwiddie and Doncic, you almost have to rigid. Like There are stints where neither of them are on the court. Like who is handling the ball for this team uh me uh at the moment i think i'm third string point guard i would say they, they've thrown out frank nilakina which is a riot because frank nilakina is at this point in his career slowly transitioning to be like a ninth man three and d wing at best uh he he just he doesn't have great ball handling skills he's also not a great decision maker the other person that they've uh, uh, short term tried in the role is a uh, third year forward josh green um and he's not bad. He's, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit. He's, he's looked okay 
and and I think if you can eat ten minutes a game doing that, where he's you know extending possessions and bringing the ball up the floor and getting into their offense, then maybe they can make it work. But it's a little dicey right now. Before getting into more of him and some of the other players in the roster, were you annoyed or concerned that they didn't seem to be more aggressive in finding some way to replace, like, or even just get a third ball handler over the offseason? Or was this very much a, you know, they had the mini MLE, like they're not, I don't want to say they're trade asset Baron, but just that obligation. Well, they're they trade make. asset Baron. They're, right. That's that's the that's the, the, the start and the end of it is they went, you know, they've had a string of bad luck. So when you, when you draft Luka Doncic, but you have to give up a draft pick to go get him, and then you move on from two more draft picks to go get Kristaps Porzingis, they just don't have a lot that they could do. And so the, the current front office is inheriting kind of a, a I don't want to say like the books aren't great. They just have to, to figure some things out. And there's, you, you know, they moved on from Porzingis salary, but all they really did was split it in two with Dinwiddie mm-hmm. and Davis Bertan. So they just didn't really have a lot of options. Um, I think there could have been some guys that they pursued for veteran uh, for like veteran deals, minimums, but nothing that really would have moved the needle. And to me, it's like they, they they've not come out and said this because no team's going to do this, but, I've been referring to this as a bit of a, a year where the Mavericks take their medicine because they have to get out from under from some of these obligations that they owe to then see what they can do because you know they they just signed like this is Luca's fifth year so it's his first year on uh, this you know rookie max extension where he's making mm-hmm. like thirty seven to forty three million dollars a year for over the life of the deal so they have him it's a five year extension but really it's four years because it's a player option and then if we're being honest with how the NBA trade market works they have like three seasons to figure something out. So the next big trade they make is going to be the last big trade they make. So they just, they, they have to be patient and hope that sort of Luca carries them through. How do you feel about the, when they're on the court together, the Doncic and Dinwiddie fit versus how the fit was with Doncic and Brunson? Um, It's different. Like they sort of had like a triple, like a triple option in football where all three guys would do this. Like they had the same role, but they did things all very differently. Um, Dinwiddie, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this year. He played a great 25 games, probably some of the best basketball he played in his entire career. He shot like 39% from three and he's like a 31% three point. I was looking, he was at like 42 plus percent on catch and shoots in Dallas. It was wild. So it's, it's, if he can manage to play even splitting the difference between his career averages and what he did last year. I, I'm going to be very pleased. I think he he's such a an interesting player. His arms are real long. He he has nice, uh, which results in him getting fouled a lot because he goes to the rim and guys that you know think they can block his shot, so he hangs there an inch more only to get hit on the wrist. Um, I like him him and Luca as a pairing. Uh, I, I'm going to be curious to see how that works like game to game, particularly with the you know NBA franchises nowadays. Like I feel like they rest somebody every 10 games or so. So it's, you know, how much time will they really get on the floor together? Will they be closing games, you know, mm-hmm. starting games? It's Spencer seems very open to a lot of different roles. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. How much do you think the um like the Dallas's spacing seemed to really help him where Dinwiddie was getting to the mm-hmm. rim a lot more often once he got to the Mavs. And that's like an element where he gets there a little bit more often than Jalen Brunson because he likes to follow through in his drives a bit more. Um, do you think that ends up like benefiting this team having someone like Hope that? So. Yeah. Hope so, because they got to really draw more fouls. Um, that was mm-hmm. one area where Brunson wasn't great and really nobody passed. Luca was great, and Luca doesn't get foul calls, one, because he's big, and two, because he never shuts up. 
Um, so those like two things go together. It's like his Lucas second year, he averaged like 9.2 free throws. Now he averages like 7.2 and on the same number of drives. Like there's a reason for that. So if Dinwiddie, it's like that sort of stuff really matters over the course of 82 games. It's like, you're just getting the line. Even if it's like one and a half more times a game, it really adds up. And, and I'm hopeful for that because, you know, there's, there's other guys in the roster that, that like to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim and, any sort of of getting like rim attack, I think benefits the this this offense a great deal. The other thing I'm wondering too, at least for the regular season, I didn't send this to you in the outline, but what just happens if Luka Doncic is Luka Doncic from day one for this team, and maybe we're not factoring that in enough? Where last year it felt like it took him like two months or whatever it was to really work his way into shape, and then just dominated, enters mm-hmm. the fringes of the top five MVP discussion. Does that help if he's just like ready? And just Luka Doncic from day one, does that help paper over Brunson's absence a lot more than we're crediting? I, I think so. Um, and that's that's where it's like the over-under lines, I think, are sort of not in, not kind of giving Brunson a bit too much uh, uh, importance to the overall um, to the overall Mavs, you know, wh- where they're heading. Luka was really – he was out of shape two seasons in a row. They had two really bad starts. The post-COVID – like the first COVID year – he came in real heavy, and then the, everyone had COVID problems, so that's kind of a wash. But last year, he was he was very heavy. He was uh, Tim McMahon thinks he might have weighed as much as two hundred and seventy pounds on, wow. uh, which is hilarious, uh, on on like entry to camp. And so it's you know once he finally really started to get it together by mid January, that was fine. And they're playing five hundred ball. If they could just play slightly above five hundred basketball, I'm I'm going to feel pretty good about what what they're capable of this season. As you sort of already alluded to, the Mavs and Mavs Twitter seems very much smitten with the training camp that Josh Green has mm. had. What is most intriguing about him entering this year? He looks like he could play basketball. Oh, um, wow. okay. Uh, it's it's a wild concept, a professional basketball player being able to play basketball. He's been really bad for two years. He was not the right pick for this team in 2020, paired with the COVID situation where there was no summer league, training camps, everything was shortened, and then he was with Rick Carlisle, who is just not, he's just not good with rookies. The Mavs push back out on Indiana for him, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, but I mean, he likes smart players and he likes players who knows what they're doing. And green was a, you know, a a freshman young guy without a lot of basketball experience. And you got to play basketball in order to get better at it. And I was really, you know, he played a little better last year, but still was too tentative. And in, in training camp right now, he just looks like, um, he just looks like he he's comfortable with what he's doing. And so I'm trying not to rain on anybody's parade when, when I talk about this with Mavs fans, but like learn, you know, dribbling and going to the rim and, you know, looking confident in your shot, like shouldn't be prerequisites for being super fired up. Right. Are they going to give him like a chance to be, I guess, like that third ball handler them? Is that even the way his game is best suited? I went back and was watching a little bit of Josh Green uh, last night and he had like some like smarter recognition on passes than I remember watching last season. So I didn't see a whole lot of Josh Green. Surprise, surprise. But I'm just like and I told you I'm a Frankie Lakina believer. But in the vein of what you just said, you make him a three and D wing. You don't make him your third ball handler. And so, like, are they really going to try and shoehorn Josh Green in those minutes? Do we see even maybe Jaden Harvey get a crack at, at this thing as a rookie? I bet they do try some stuff with Green because Green is not best suited as a catch-and-shoot player. His his athleticism and the way he plays, his energy is sort of frenetic, and it's really unorthodox to a degree because he does, like, weird Dwayne Wade jump passes and 
kind of sees the game a little bit differently. Uh, I bet they try it. Now, whether it works is a whole nother story. Jaden Hardy, Jaden Hardy's also not a point guard. Um, right. He's a scoring guard. He he's he gives me sort of Tim Hardaway Jr. vibes, if if I'm honest. A uh, really confident shooter. Will dribble, believes he can dribble. Also can't apparently look to his left or his right because when he gets double teamed, it's a turnover. Uh, at least that's what happened in summer league. But, you know, in his one preseason game last night, he looked outstanding, shot the ball a ton. Um, I, I don't think he's the guy for this year. If, if, if he's playing a lot with the Mavericks thing, he's either been unbelievable, which for pick 37 would be kind of outlandish or the Mavericks are really bad. <laughs> Those are kind of the two choices. So at this point, do we just expect to see heavy staggering of Dinwiddie Luca, or is this a situation where it's almost like, well, you know, Kemba is going to get out of Detroit eventually, and we're going to just sign him? Like, I don't, I don't really understand how to read this situation because my gut instinct would have been, if you're going to rely this much on Luca, as it seems like you're going to, just continue bringing Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench. But it does seem like they're going to start him, and so I'm just curious how, like, is there just going to be a ton of staggering them? I don't know what the other solution here is with like those, those lineups. I don't either. And that's where kid and, and then Nico Harrison, their, their second year GM just have their work cut out for them because I think, you know, when you look at it on paper and you say, okay, in a seven game series, how do we feel about this team? Not bad because you're playing game to game, but the grind of an 82 game season, you know, I think most fans sort of forget you end up playing 10, 11 guys. Most nights, Mm -hmm. you're not playing an eight man rotation too long. And you get outside the Mavericks eight-man rotation. There's Green sitting there. There's Frank Nilakina sitting there. It's a little uncomfortable. Uh, and you don't want to lose those minutes horribly because while as good as the Mavericks could be on offense, they just have a lot of defensive questions. They were really good on defense during stretches last year, primarily because you know they started playing really good in January. Well, January, February is when teams hit sort of a slog and things right. go awry. They also just sort of connected at the right time. Chris uh, Stapps Porzingis ended up getting traded, and there was a bit of a you know post Porzingis bump where things looked really really good. But you can only rely on commitment to a defensive scheme for so long before teams start to scout it out. It's like which guys over rotate, which guys are really easy to attack on the dribble. There's and that's what happened to the Mavericks Western Conference Finals. Like the Warriors just destroyed them, and it didn't. They didn't even look like like much of a Western Conference Finals team. And that's they they just need more talent. And unfortunately, I I don't see uh, you know I don't see a real way for for that to happen. There's a lot of banking on second round and undrafted guys. And I know once you're in the league, that doesn't matter as much. But the pedigree and the talent level for the Mavericks past Luca is just a little. Eh. Makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess if you're really thinking about it, like is their second best player? Do we just pencil in Dorian Finney Smith as that, or is it Spencer Dinwiddie at this point? That's a tough it, question to answer. We, we asked the whole staff about this, and I got two thousand words of responses from like twelve people because there's so many different opinions. Like it's probably Dorian Finney Smith because of what he brings as a complete player. You know, he's like the ideal fifth player for a championship team. He would just mm. do so many things for so, and he's so well, like he's compensated in a way that makes him so attractive. But it's, you know, it's either him or Spencer Dinwiddie at this point. Like Christian Wood will, I think, maybe make an argument for that if things pan out right. But it's, it's just, it's, you know, the, the loss of Brunson sort of exposes a talent deficit. What a segue. Can tell you're a podcasting veteran. <laughs> uh, do you have any 
one preseason game in, but also having thought about it for a couple months now, what are your, just your thoughts of the Christian Wood trade and his fit and I guess your expectations for him this season? So let's go back to when the trade happened. It happened during the draft. Now, apparently, with the way the NBA works, the Brunson deal was all but done at this point. We didn't know that. At the time, I thought it was a great gamble because you're bringing in a guy who's in a contract year who hasn't really worked out anywhere, but there's just so much talent. Fast forward to now, the Mavericks need him to be good. Um, and through a you know public practice on NBA TV, a public scrimmage that the Mavs have called Fan Jam, and through one preseason game, Jason Kidd is going to hate him defensively. He cannot play defense at this point in time. I don't know if it's an effort thing. Part of me feels like it might be, but he also I think it's a big, if you watch him on like some plays where he actually does things, I really think it's a huge effort thing, which is probably infuriating, especially when a guy's in a contract year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, well, it's going to be infuriating for him because I just don't know if kid will play him that much. Last night, for example, JaVale McGee, who the Mavericks also signed for some damn reason, is supposed to be the starter and he's out with an ankle injury and they still put in Dwight Powell over Christian Wood. That says a lot to me, even though it is preseason, it's slight overreaction. Effort and stuff, I think, will matter a great deal for Kid. And, and Wood's either going to figure that out or he won't. Uh, what Matt, what Dallas gave up for him, you know, is like a 27th pick, something like that, paired with a couple of back end roster guys. Gamble's good. I just worry because he's, they're going to need his scoring. He's a really good rebounder. Uh, but if you can't fit into like Luca and, and Christian Wood defensively is just a, you know, it's a turnstile. Like mm -hmm. you just can't do it. And, and, Kid builds his teams on defense, and I'm I'm just really curious as to how they're going to make this work. He's either going to get it or he's not. Given that you're worried about how he plays with Luka, and then also the fact that you are going to start Spencer Dimity alongside Luka Doncic, then does that sort of explain why he's coming off the bench? And I know there was the jokes where he said that, oh, I didn't know I was coming off the bench. When you watch the video, he very much seemed like he was being sarcastic when he said that. Um, so I don't know that that, but he did, didn't he say something about whether he's starting might factor into contract negotiations. I still just, I can't bring myself to care because it's Christian Wood. Right. But does it make sense to bring him off the bench when looking at the makeup of this team? I do for now, though. I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, JaVale McGee has spoken about how important starting was for him, which again, why are we caring what JaVale McGee wants in the year 2022? Just beyond me. What Dallin Smith wanted in the year 2000. <sighs> Well, and I, I understand that like the other team competing for for McGee was actually the Bucks. So it's like, oh, we could go play for you know a really very good team or a pretty good team. And the Mavericks offered him three years. That is what it is. But it's with Wood. I think if if he's able to show value that he and Luca, for example, are just so lethal, then I think he'll eventually make his way into the starting five. He's essentially a six foot eleven wing. He's not yeah. a, a big man. He's got really nice handles. His, you watch highlights of this guy, he looks like one of the best basketball players to ever live. Like his highlight tapes are incredible because of his skill level, but he's just not been able to put it together for a variety of reasons. And a lot of them, uh, up, up until Houston, I would say, were absolutely like his fault. Like he signed with Houston expecting to play with John Wall, and then everything just went sideways. So maybe, maybe we'll get to see. It's, it's, this is his last big chance to make money. He, he, you know, he might, he'll probably be in the league for another seven, eight years because of the talent level, but he'll be signing two, $3 million deals. If he wants another eight figure contract, this is the year to earn it. And also coming off the bench puts him in a situation where he should have like 
pretty heavy agency over the mm. offense and the Mavs pathway to like, let's say winning the non donchage minutes. And even if Spencer Dinwiddie's out there, it's Tim Hardaway Jr. is healthy and hitting threes and maybe knocking down some of those pull-ups he likes to take. And then Christian Wood is just really fucking good. Like that is their yep. pathway to staying afloat in the non donchage minutes. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a bad offensive plan. It's just defensive no. plan. <laughs> the, the, the Christian Wood, Tim Hardy de- or uh, Tim uh, Hardaway uh, defense is not going to be staunch. Yeah, he played like defense for half a season at Atlanta, I think, and he was pretty good. So uh, maybe THJ has sort of a renaissance there. But JaVale McGee, you've kind of already talked about him. How did you feel about that signing? And you already mentioned the decision to like, I get starting was important to him. You already sort of outlined that stuff. But what does he bring to this team? Um, Like, why does he make sense for this team? Or did you not even want the Mavericks to sign him when you look at the rest of the bigs on their roster? apparently and so i've been lectured about this by sourced people in the dallas media who you know have talked with the team and this is in people's writings i'm not saying anything out of school here but so many apparently mcgee has really turned himself around into being a positive locker room presence i lived in washington dc for a real long time i was there the whole time mcgee was a wizard i knew some reporters who covered him when he went to to denver he's apparently very uncharitable with media not he's his never like he's never really done much ever he's been in the league forever he has three championship rings but as one of my colleagues pointed out when in the bubble he didn't play a minute during the finals right so it's like javel mcgee champion well congratulations for your participation trophy it's <laughs> you know and he has two more with the warriors which you know you and i could get a ring with the you know those those warriors teams with durant and such so it's it's I feel all kinds of different ways about this, but I'm willing to at least give it a chance because McGee has some measurables. He's seven foot tall, seven foot six wingspan. They're starting center last year. Dwight Powell, six foot 11 with a six foot 11 wingspan. Dwight Powell plays as hard as any player I've ever seen, but his physical limitations eventually catch up with him. He's just not like he's maximized his career. So if you swap out some of those minutes and you're not relying on Dwight Powell for 25 minutes a game and maybe instead for like 15 and then you can change some things up with a guy like McGee, who's also an excellent role man. Yeah, I, I, there's there's a path that I understand the argument. I just don't love it because that was their that was the majority of their their mini MLE, and there were guys that were signed for for that sort of thing where it's just like, wait, we did this with Javale McGee when these guys were on the the market, and I I think that that decision was done before Christian Wood was available. And because yeah. the starting thing was promised where it's just like, okay, well, this is the bed we've made and we're just going to try to make it work because the gamble with Christian Wood is worth taking. So I don't know. I bet I, you know, one thing about McGee is that when he's healthy, he plays a lot like games. He doesn't necessarily play a ton of minutes, but he's around a lot. And the Dallas Mavericks do need more guys that can play more than, you know, they need guys that can play 70 plus games. Yeah, I mean, he does at least bring, and you mentioned the role man stuff for a team that was 29th in the share of their shots that came at the rim. Like, that helps you in the half court, having someone like him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Again, just curious, but like you said, maybe if they don't make the Christian Wood trade, perhaps we're killing their offseason a little bit more, yes. but it would have made more sense to have just JaVal McGee. But I remember when Kevon Looney signed his contract, and I was just like, the market on something. Like, I didn't understand how Mitchell Robinson got what he got, and I was like, how did JaVal McGee get guaranteed a starting role? Um, so it was a questionable decision, but it does lead me to my next question on them, which is, is there a big that gets squeezed out of this rotation now? Or is it Jason Kidd is so hell bent on playing two bigs at once at some points? And he can't, I mean, he has Maxi Kleba that helps. And then Christian Wood being able to stretch the floor helps. But is there like when you look at Bertans also being there, Dwight Powell as well, which big feels like they're in most danger of being squeezed out of this front court rotation? 
I'm not sure because I actually think Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell played too many minutes. Kleber's really important, but he's also 30 years old and he's played five long years in the NBA. He was a, you know, a unsigned um, undrafted guy who made his way to the league and his body's not really built for an 82 game season. Um, he should probably be playing 20 minutes max, uh, except if it's, you know, playoffs and key games and things like that. He's really made it to the playoffs the last two years in not great physical shape. So if they can limit the strain on him, that matters a lot. I mentioned the Powell minutes already. Powell drives Mavs fans absolutely crazy. They hate him. Um, he does a lot of stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. He's a great screen setter, things of that nature. But when he's when he's useless, he's beyond useless. He just does a bunch of cardio while he's on the floor. So I think, you know, a couple of new guys to shore that up is is a value because Dallas started last year with six centers on the roster, and four of them moved out of the roster as the season went along. I mean, they tried out Willie Cauley Stein, they tried out Moses Brown. So this is really just kind of throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. I, I Compared to those guys, these two are definitely an upgrade. But as I keep, you know, I had what the Mavs uh, radio uh, guy's name's Chuck Cooperstein told me, he's like, well, lots of teams are going to to two, you know, two big guys. And it's like, well, lots of the, the two big guy teams, if we're thinking about them, so Cleveland and Minneapolis, just right off the top of my head, those two two tandems in those cities are both of the, all four of those guys are unbelievable basketball players. Right. This is not, it's like, this is, the, we are not the same, you know, type like meme. Like that's where my head is. Yeah, like playing Deval McGee with Maxi Kleba is different from playing, you know, Evan Mobley with Jared Allen. And you're right. I really like Maxi Kleba, but it feels like he's just uh, just not the same player. And I guess you said it's been five very long years in the, the NBA. He used His- to have a lot of burst. Like he was like the white guy who was somehow up at the rim blocking shots. Um, he's facing you know, the floor, switching all over the. When he was what year was that? The bubble? What was the when he was just the primary defender on Kawhi? That's right. Like, yeah. And, and uh, he's just he he's kind of spent and and that's not I he was really important to the Mavericks and I want him to be really important to the Mavericks to where in you know March April hopefully May June that he's able to play minutes and so it's just if if they can save him and and they not and still win basketball games that's important. Dallas finished eighth um, per cleaning the glass and points allowed per possession last year. Um, they were really good at limiting threes, getting back off live rebounds. Uh, some of, if you go back and look at some of their splits, it's weird. Like they dropped to 15th outside garbage time after the, the Porzingis trade, but their offense skyrocketed to fifth. I can't remember if there was like any absences towards the end of the year. It would have impacted that, but all in all, are they built to prop up that kind of defense again? And what is it about the way that Jason Kidd? Cause he received a lot of credit for what they did, but what was it about Jason Kidd specifically that helped them stylistically be so successful on that end? Well, the three point stuff, as far as I understand it, is just like luck. The, the, <laughs> like percentage, the percentage is definitely <laughs> luck, but like they were good at like getting guys off the three point line. It felt like like limiting the Effort, actual. Okay. Yeah. 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 They had a re- like, so in uh, Milwaukee, the second year and during kids' stint, their defense just got picked apart. Though in the first year, they had an extremely aggressive pick and roll coverage. I think he's found stylistically. A, a a pick and roll and recover defense that he likes within the guys that they have. Now okay. you do that primarily through length. And I think that's why if you look at the Mavericks lineup, you know, one thing I will say about this is now that, that Brunson's gone, there's not a single person under six, four in the, in the rotation. Um, and that, that helps with this sort of, you know, it's aggressive, but not overly aggressive coverage. And it also relies on, 
teammates working together and knowing when and where to switch. That's where the incorporation of Tim Hardaway and Christian Wood becomes really difficult because the guys that they had doing this last year, particularly after Porzingis was traded, it was a kinetic chain of guys just just an amoeba. And it was re- even with Luca, <laughs> like they they let Luca sort of freelance. And like Luca's not a great defensive player by any stretch of the man, uh, imagination, but he's six foot eight. He has a you know, pretty good wingspan. He's big, and so he can just be in space. And and so it's like you, if you have four pretty good defenders or four really willing defenders and Luka Doncic, I think you can get away with a lot in a regular season game. I want to make this clear that having Luca survey the defense, bring the ball up the court, survey the defense, then just annihilate people is a very good offensive model it has value it, it's just it's incredible do you want to see some more variability from their offense oh God, especially yes. during the non dodgers minutes like when's the last time they weren't you know bottom two in transition frequency and oh, dead well, last in offensive possession time see i don't understand the transition stuff because if you watch luca in international play he loves pass ahead situations i i just wonder it's like does he worry that dorian finney smith is is gonna you know pull who's the guy the, the the i always use the office meme where the guy dribbling looking down the stanley office dribbling oh, yeah. like <laughs> like like is that what he's worried dorian finney smith and and reggie bullock are gonna do i i just don't know because it was like that under carl we assumed it was carl and now it's been like that under Kid, and Kid was obviously one of the best fast break point guards of all time. It's like, what is happening? Matt, Dallas has to run more. I think some of that's Lucas Fitness because the games are eight minutes longer and he has to play 40 minutes a game. Good but they, they need to run. He's too dangerous of a passer to give up this sort of stuff. Um, uh, but then as far as your second question, they, they need a lot more variability. But I don't know how you do it with the offense that they have other than – they need to someone needs to get through to him and say look we under because the problem with Lucas he's like really smart he understands the math a Luka Doncic pick and roll is the best offense right period point per possession it's what you can do but they don't use him in roles ever Luka as a role man would be incredible Luka oh, doing yeah. all like off ball like sometimes they're like oh well we have Luka going off ball no you have Luka going to post up and then you feed him the post up like, what if we ran some actual honest-to-goodness plays? And they just don't have a lot of plays. They don't, at least they didn't last year. Now, now Igor Kokoskov has moved on, um, and they they have some new things that I'm sure they're going to try. But at the end of the day, Luka Ball is Luka Ball, and it's where the criticisms and comparisons to James Harden, I both get them, and it drives me crazy. But the, if they want to advance in the playoffs, they do need some some variability. And I would even just say, Let's just say they can't have it during the Doncic minutes. Like maybe that's a way to sort of cover up for just not having an actual third ball. Let's just play at this frenetic pace. But then I Mm -hmm. dig through their personnel and I'm like, all right, like Josh Green's pretty quick, but like, like, are they built to be a team that really gets out in transition, like with any type of above league average frequency? I don't know that that's where it's dicey. I, I would like to at least see them try is, is what I'll say because fast break basketball is just more fun. Oh, no, 100% for sure. That's why sometimes the Kings are watchable. Like, they'll run the ball out after the inbounds, even after made shots. Uh, so I feel like I don't want to make it seem like we're shitting on the Mavericks. Um, we've been pretty critical of them. Are there any, like, under-talked-about strengths about this team that are being missed as we head into the regular season? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, like, this is where, like, I have a, a bit of a, a – a, Mavs fans love to hate me because they think I'm too negative, whereas I just think I'm realistic. The bottom line is, is I watched a Dirk Nowitzki-led team from 2000. You know, I watched them the whole time, but when they moved on from Steve Nash, Dirk was the only really, you know, they had some pretty good teams. Obviously, they made it to the finals eventually, but then in the championship years, they wasted a lot of very good Dirk basketball because of they expected too much out of him. And and the the problem with the Mavericks right now is 
due to the circumstances of their previous front office regime, they just don't have a lot of talent. Grantland put out an article today. It's like, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was like, you know, numbers that kind of define the season. And like, if you go look at top 100 lists, Luka Doncic is in the top five for everybody's list. There might be one other Maverick in the top 100 for all the other lists combined. Like there was wow. Spencer Dinwiddie was 69 on one on the ESPN list. They didn't have uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, which I think is a mistake, but it's just, it goes to show like how the talent levels are viewed. And, you know, as we're talking right now, Victor Wimignana and Scoot Henderson are playing and like this, my sum of all fears is that the Rockets and Spurs are garbage again. And then those two teams get Scoot Henderson and Victor Wimignana to go along with Zion Williamson and Ja Morant in the Southwest division. And then Luca just all of a sudden one day is like, you know what? I'm tired of this shit. Bye. And it'd be fair to look at that. Like if we're going to do the, that to SGA and OKC or Zion before he signed his contract in New Orleans, it's fair to view it through that lens with Luca mm -hmm. and the Mavericks, which is why I know you'd already said that this is going to be sort of a take your medicine year for the Mavericks to where let mm -hmm. that draft draft obligation convey. Um, you'll be sub be a sub contender, but then you can maybe be more aggressive over the off season since you won't be on, you won't be encumbered by that. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're like hovering outside the top four on the fringes of the top six in the West, like, is this a team that could be a little bit more aggressive leading into the trade deadline or are you 100%. very much? No. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think that's likely what's going to, to be potential. And that sort of worries me because with the Victor Wimignana sweepstakes, I think there's going to be a lot more sellers and it just, I at the moment, I'm not very good at this level of prognostication. Dalton Trigg, who I know has been on this podcast before, is much better at like seeing the future for what guys might be available um, for, for the Mavericks. And I just, I don't know. And, and it worries me a little bit because it's just not, it, it's, you hate to be this sort of bleak about it when you have a generational player, but it's just they they don't have a lot of optionality that I see at the moment. I mean, the Mavericks have never taken on draft picks the entire time I've been a Mavs fan. It's just never been a thing. And there's just not the, – the paths to improvement circle around Luka Doncic going from being like trans, trans – uh, what, what uh, transcendent yeah. to like multi-dimensional level good. Like there's just, that's kind of clone. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, you know, Thanos popping through the universes type stuff. It's, it's terrifying. Like that's kind of their best path. Oddly enough, that's also not, it's a pretty good one. Cause Luca's so young, but it's still, it's just, it's, it waxes and wanes to where it's like, for me this year, if the Mavericks don't make the, 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 the goal for me as a fan, as I'm watching team, I want them to make the second round again. I don't, mm -hmm. Like Western conference finals is hard. But way, making the second round again would be really cool because it's hard to advance in the playoffs. And I think the way you know basketball is discussed these days, we sort of overrate elements of those sorts of things. Like getting the playoffs is kind of easy. Let's just be honest when you know 20 teams make it. But advancing is hard. <laughs> right, for sure. Uh, and I do think it's weird. They just made the Western Conference Finals and then you, you, we come in with this tenor surrounding them. Of It would be cool if they won a playoff round, but I think it's fair just based off the way their team looks. I will say... Um, I, I think if they can stick it out this year, there'll be more optionality available to them over like the forthcoming off seasons because the trade market, as we just saw, there's always a next star, even the star that you don't necessarily see coming. And it's just a matter of, are they willing to give the draft equity up to get one once they actually have it to trade? And I think what would also help is some of these deals that don't look too rosy now come summer, Tim Hardaway Jr. has one fewer year. Davis Bertans has one fewer year. You figure out what you're doing with Spencer Dinwiddie's partial guarantee and so i would expect them to be aggressive but i think for a lot of mass fans that have been chasing or waiting for the mega move that still feels like 
we're a year away at least from something along those lines. Yeah. And you know, uh, because I have the rundown and like you said, I'm a podcast host myself. One thing that, that I think is, is comparable here is if you look at the, the first run LeBron years, um, the, the Cavs made so many terrible moves that they had to offload assets in order to try to improve. And if you're sending picks out, you better be really certain that the picks and the assets are going to improve your team because otherwise it's going it, it, it's there's not a lot of recourse for that sort of thing because no. the paths to improvement in the NBA are obviously free agency, trades, draft. The Mavericks are terrible at free agency. They try to do drafts and they're terrible at, at uh, I'm sorry, they're, they're, they try to do trades and they're terrible at drafts. So how do they improve? I don't know. The 10-man rotation for this team, it does feel like there are eight locks. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but just between Luca, Dinwiddie, um, Finney Smith, Bullock, McGee, Tim Hardaway, Christian Wood, and Maxi Kleba, would you classify all those guys as locks for the yeah. 10-man rotation? Mm-hmm. Who would? How would you flesh out the final two? Obviously, it can change, but as of right now. Probably going to be Josh, Josh uh, Green, um, and then I, I think it'll be Frank at first, and then I think they'll start trying some things. But Dwight Powell has a chance to maybe fall out of one of those top ten spots, but I guess maybe. But even he will still get some minutes. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they play eleven to twelve guys, like ten plus minutes every game. And Dwight Powell is like an institution to that organization. So. <laughs> Somehow he came over. This is my favorite. He was a throw in to the Rajon Rondo trade way back in the day uh, and has somehow been a like valuable part of the team since 2015. Maybe they're, tr- tr- they're subconsciously or implicitly trying to still spin that trade, justify it all these years later. Yeah. Um, so this is to some extent matchup dependent. And I think it's certainly fascinating with this team where I could see them futzing and fiddling a lot. But what would be your go to crunch time unit Ooh, great question uh i want to see uh, a wood at the five with bullock luca dorian finney smith spencer dinwiddie is that five players <laughs> dinwiddie bullock <laughs> did dorian finney smith luca and wood yeah that's five yeah okay and then maybe switching out hardaway every now and again i mean the hardaway bullock thing is sort of like one of the hidden things i'm going to be keeping an eye on because oh, okay Bullock did not take off until hardaway got hurt and that's because of volume and time and there's only so many threes you can shoot in a game and each one of those guys i think needs like five plus attempts a game and i just they need to make sure that happens because bullock was huge down the stretch for them but if you go look at his box score there's a, you know, like the, the stretch of them from, you know, kind of November up until late January. He has games where he's taking like two and three. And it's His like volume just skyrocketed. He was yeah. at like six and seven attempts a game all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So, and so I was actually wondering, do you, and the way you painted that you would most likely see them, I don't want to tether anyone to positions, but it'll be the Dorian Finney Smith at the four looks rather than yeah. really ever closing with two bigs. And, and so maybe even Dorian at five sometimes. I sign me the fuck up for that. I love those types of, of lineups, which brings me to my net. You really are a podcasting veteran. That brings me to my next question. Are there any weirdo wonky quirky bonkers lineups you want Jason kid to try this year? Well, because I'm a sicko, like I don't care for Josh green. It is not him as a person, just him as a player. But if we're going to use Josh green, I need to see these Josh green point guard minutes. I just need to see them with decent dudes where he's running the offense and causing some chaos because he's another big ball handler. Um, I, I want to see like, like 
any lineup with him as primary ball handler. I just sort of need to see it because if it works all for the better, if it doesn't work, then I get to crap on this front office. It's a really, it's like a win. win. (laughs) Uh, It's funny that you went that route because mine was the same, but with like the Frank Nielakino look, if they're going to, if they're going to call Frank Nielakino, their third ball handler, like let's do this right. And put Frank Nielakino on the floor with, a bunch of shooters. It's just, you know, we'll make it the non-Luca minutes because you're not taking the ball out of Luca's hands. And give me Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, uh, I guess Christian Wood and Kleba or throw Hardaway in there for one of them and you could run a little smaller. I, I imagine the defense would be pretty terrible. Um, but you do have Dorian Finney-Smith and Frank Nielakina, um, and if Kleba's healthy. So give those three together and then give me, you know, I, I still might go Wood and then just, uh, I think, even Reggie Bullock. So that would be the lineup I just want to see out of, and I've said this a lot with certain lineups this year, probably out of just more morbid curiosity than anything else. Right, right. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. As we record this, their current win total is set at 48.5. Are you smashing the over or the under on that? I think it's perfectly set. It's just perfectly set. Mavs fans are lunatics about this when I do anything under than 52 games. And it's just like, folks, Dallas went 35 and 12 from January one on. That is impossible to do. Right. It, it just doesn't. And it's like, oh, well, it happens. So we can do it again. Like, no, that's, that's not how this works. The likelihood, even if they're playing very well, is that they win 60% of their games, not 75. So there was a stretch of games where they beat Boston and Brooklyn on an East Coast road trip on back-to-back game winners. And so you know this as well as I do. There's probably three to four games every year that you just completely are, are the endings are nonsense, total coin flips. I feel like last year in that stretch, the Mavericks had a bunch of stuff go their way. Mm-hmm. I think 48 is great because it just it it builds in a little bit of 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 a reduction. Now that said, it's it's I, I have a hard time seeing this team if they get 75 games out of Luca winning fewer than winning fewer than 50 it's you know he's just that good um that that's sort of it's it's the conflict though between those two things because if luca plays 80 games and they win 48 of them that means something else has these things didn't pan out right so i i don't know what i'm gonna end up hitting with them i just the trust meter after luca and yeah, I, like I trust Dorian Finney-Smith, I trust Luca, and then it's like I don't know. I trust Frank Nielakina with my life, obviously. But after that, it's just like the the trust meter makes me wonder if this team could actually be a little worse than expected. Um, my actual follow up questions to that though is, where do you see them standing relative to the West? Is it you know are there what teams do you see as decidedly better than them? I guess might be the way where you'd right now say I'd be shocked if the Mavs are better than than these teams to close the regular season. So let's just go through the list here. I should have the whole standings pulled up, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, in the Western Conference, I think that the Warriors are better. I think the Clippers are better. I think that the Denver Nuggets are better. And that's kind of where the firm absolutely betters are, are stopping for me. Um, if you were to – Memphis is one that I find particularly interesting because – I can't figure them out. I'm they won so many regret. games without Ja, and and Ja's Ja's basketball Icarus. Like he just <laughs> flies too close to the sun. And if you're telling the way he gets hurt, I just he did a 360 dunk the other day. I was like, oh, that was so cool. Oh, that was why. 
<laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And if they're without Jaron Jackson Jr., who's their second most important player for a huge stretch, they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be hard pressed. And I I think Jackson with a foot injury is gonna be it's just it's a dicey gamble. I don't see them winning this many games again. I also don't think they're better than Dallas. Part of this is because Dallas has simply destroyed them every time Luca and Memphis matches up. Like they, it's it. I feel the same way about the Celtics. It's just in my head because Luca breaks them. I don't think they're as good a team as they they realistically are. Um, obviously, you know the the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be a real bear to play in the regular season. I think that's another team that's potentially uh, better. I think that the Pelicans they they have you know Zion is just such a force in nature. They're kind of right there in that Mavericks tier. I definitely think they're better than the Lakers. You know, Kings, uh, Blazers, uh, Thunder, Rockets, the Spurs, like those teams are all better. And like, so some of this is going to come down to like the way the schedule balancing works out where, you know, if you get a, there's some tough, like the Mavericks play kind of a crazy schedule. If you go look in, in um, March, they play Memphis three times. So a lot's going to wow. be decided in, in the, the, in, in the last couple uh, weeks of the season, which I think is, is really fun. Good, good job by the, uh, by the scheduling people to do that. So, you know, it's things are going to get uh, really sorted out in an interesting way going down the stretch for, for Dallas. Like they have some pretty good, pretty solid schedule in terms of, of balance, both what on right now on paper looks like easy and difficult teams, but Last year they benefited, I think, from some scheduling quirks and and that sort of stuff is always very interesting to me. Where it's a, they do these home and home series now, which I think are a lot of fun. So it's the, the Mavericks play, for example, in late March they play Charlotte on Friday and Charlotte on Sunday, and that is a like that's hard. Being, right. being the same team twice in a row, it's and if you lose both those games, it sets you back at a point in the the cycle when you're really um you know hoping to get wins. Yeah, the, and the, both conferences are tough this year, but I would agree with all the teams you mentioned in front of them. I do think at least one of Minnesota, New Orleans, and Phoenix is going to end up jumping over them. And But I think what's really more uneasy is that if you just, let's just say that if you can name four teams in front of them, you're talking about, well, they have to be better than Minnesota and then New Orleans if they just want to avoid the play-in and things get just sort of fickle when you get to the middle of the Western Conference where even if you think there are only three teams definitively better of them to still have the Suns in the mix with the Pelicans and the Timberwolves, the way that those two teams look right now, and the Mavericks, and plus the Grizzlies, who I'm just notoriously low on, is just so brutal in just that middle class of the Western Conference. And I don't have a great feel for what the Mavs are going to be during the regular season. And there are just... I don't. I never have a great feel for how the standings are going to shake out, but I try to get better feels for individual teams before the season. The Mavs are one that are just miffing me. I'm, I tend to just be like, they have Luka. That's 49-plus games. If he stays healthy, they're going to win. But I honestly just look at the rest of the roster, how they sort of succeeded last season, and I'm just wondering if they have more trouble replicating it for reasons that really aren't because Jalen Brunson left right. so much of what the infrastructure looks like now that he's gone. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel, too. And that's lost on people when you're you're making, you know, arguments and, and trying to explain logic to fans. It's like, well, they're, it's going to be better. Just trust me. They're going to win. I got one guy I talk to every day. I love the guy who tells me the Mavericks going to win 57 games. I'm like, do you know how hard that is? That's hard. Then the, no, like one team in the West last year won, won that many games. It's like, what are we doing? I go back and forth of whether I would love to have that blind optimism or it has to hurt when you wind up being wrong. So I think I'd prefer not being that high on a team that doesn't deserve it at all, rather than just having the rampant optimism for almost no reason. Right.
uh, is there any one or anything about this team I, I did not uh, ask you about that you think needs to be discussed? No, you're much more thorough than I am about asking questions of guests. When I come on, I'm I'm recording with uh, someone else a little later today, and like I don't have anything because I just like the day's gotten away from me. So this has been great. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on, and I have to prepare so that you think that I actually watch games because I just I don't watch games. I hate everybody's team, so I just I have to fake it um, for these episodes. <laughs> but Kirk, in case anyone. Did not listen to the intro. Are you able to tell uh, our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do? Sure. I'm uh, editor at MavsMoneyBall.com. I also run the Mavs Moneyball podcast feed where uh, I I basically run every podcast but name things differently. Uh, <laughs> where we do like Spotify live shows and then I do one with my, my co-editor and then I do like a daily rundown of what's going on in Mavs land. So you ever want to hear my voice uh that's that's where you can find me and then find our written work at mavs moneyball where a hired hired you know we have like a bunch of of fan volunteer type stuff we have like 20 people that love to contribute and uh, i really like the work we're putting out because i have a whole bunch of people that are really excited about the team and then a whole bunch of people that think the mavs are going to be really rough <laughs> so it makes for fun content yeah, Mavs Moneyball does great Mavs coverage. Um, I, I am reading that consistently, and you do a great job with the You and Light Years are still like you guys are the reasons I'll go back to Spotify live. Um, on occasion, it's not something well, those I do. Dudes, yeah, those dudes but, have a whole. Well, they have like a whole crazy person ecosystem. I have like me and about three hundred people that I chat with. They get like like four thousand like wackadoo warrior fans. When we were getting paid to go on Spotify Live, we had like the most we ever had was like forty or fifty listeners. So you guys are well out in front of Hardware Knox and Spotify Live, and the, the conversation's always enjoyable. Thank you so much, Kirk. I I'm sure you know I will be pestering you again in the the future. Of course, anytime. Coming on. Yep.